As you're taking a seat, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you somewhere. And uh, if you still can't find one, we'll have the words on the screen here in just a moment. But James chapter 5, beginning of verse 13, we conclude this summer series today. Um, it's, it's been a couple months, and so we finally finished it. It's not quite fall yet, um, but we will be kicking off a new series next week, um, and it'll be on small groups and discipleship. Uh, you don't want to miss it as we kick that off next week. Um, James chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, two years ago, um, 2021, there was a woman, this is a true story, it's happened, some of you saw this in the news, but there was a woman walking down the street in New York City, broad daylight, minding her own business, going about her day. And as she's walking down the street, there's a guy coming towards her, and he jumps her. And unprovoked, beats her up. Right there on a public sidewalk, middle of the day, right there. This event happened in the, right in front of this building with an all-front or all-glass front. And the front door to that building was propped open. And so literally this attack happened like right there on the sidewalk, right outside the front door of this building. And in the lobby of the building, there was two or three guys, one or two of them being a part of the security force at that building. And they see this happening. They see the woman being attacked and they do nothing. They don't intervene. They don't try to holler and stop it. They do nothing. As the attack is concluding, and the guy who did the attacking leaves, one of the men in the lobby walked to the front door, feet removed from this woman in distress, in despair, in this moment of darkness. And he shuts the door and goes back to doing whatever he's doing. We know this because all of it got caught on video. Video camera in the lobby caught the whole thing. And the reason I bring that up is because if there's a picture I could paint to summarize what James has in mind with his final words to this book. It's that picture. You say, well, that's a startling, gut-wrenching picture. What I mean by that is the church is a group of people. We're a group of people. Multi-generational, multi-gifted, multi-ethnic, multi-tongued, male, female. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus who have surrendered to Jesus, who love and are following Jesus. And we are battling, as we saw last week, or we will battle all sorts of trials, sufferings, and persecutions. We're broken. Every one of us. We're hurting. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, socially. It's true of all of us. And what James is saying is, 
we had better not be, or we better never become the kind of people who shut the doors to their fellow brothers and sisters, especially in their distress or in their despair or in their darkness. This book, this letter, it's full of warnings, it's full of commands, it's full of practical instructions. We've seen that throughout this series. But in the end, in his final words, James's essence is saying, look out for each other. Because what happened with that woman is what's happening to believers all around the world. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, we have to look out for each other. We need each other. We need each other's prayers, petitions. At times, we need each other's rebuke, correction, redirection. We need each other to intervene, to do something, to interpose. We need help. We need each other to intercept us when we begin to fall away, which is what we're all prone to do. We cannot let our brothers and sisters lay on the sidewalks in their distress, in their despair, in their darkness, never intervening and only shutting the doors to them. That cannot be us. We must look out for each other. James chapter 5, verse 13. This is what he says. Is anyone among you suffering in distress, despair, darkness? Are you suffering? Let him pray. Let that person pray. Is anyone cheerful? Are things going really well for you? Let him sing praise. Oh, praise his name. Is anyone among you sick, physically, mentally? Then let that person call for the elders of the church, the leaders in the church, and let them pray over that person, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise that person up. And if he's committed sins, then he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You can move mountains, as Jesus would say. Verse 17, Elijah, as an example, was a man with a nature like ours. Just a a person like you and I are. But he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And what happened? Well, for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, fervently, faithfully, and heaven then gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. I I don't know if it's a true story or not, but I think the point is true. 
But there's an old preacher's story about John Wesley. John Wesley was walking with the man who was troubled. He was, as you might say, in distress, despair, or in darkness. But the man had been in a battle. He was full of suffering and trouble. And all of that led this man to tell John Wesley that I'm doubting the presence, and I'm doubting the power, and I'm doubting the goodness of God. So the man then says to John Wesley after that, I I don't know what I'm to do now with all this worry and all this suffering and all this trouble. Well, as he's telling John Wesley this, again, they're, they're walking along the road, and at the time he's telling Wesley this, they come across a cow looking over a stone wall. And John Wesley points out the cow, and he says, you know what? Do you know why that cow is looking over the wall? And the man thinks this is ridiculous. Why, why are we talking about a cow all of a sudden? He says, no, I don't. Why? John Wesley replies, said, listen, the cow is looking over the wall because he cannot see through it. That's what you have to do with your wall of trouble and suffering. Look over it. Meaning, look above Look to the one who can see through it, who knows what to do with it. This entire section that we just read is centered on prayer. Faithful, earnest, passionate, energetic, faithful, consistent, truth-filled, loyal prayer. Seven times does James use the word pray or some variation of it throughout these verses. He's in essence saying, do you have a wall in front of you? Whatever that wall is for you, do you have a wall in front of you? Then look over it, meaning look above. Look to the one who can see through it and who knows what to do with it. In other words, pray. Pray. In everything, in anything, always let us pray. And as Andrew Murray would say in talking about this, we must also then begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly worlds and can bring its power down to earth. We must pray believing that no matter the wall that I face or that you face, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, whatever it is, no matter the wall, God has the power to knock the wall down, to provide a door for you to go through the wall, or to give you the ability to climb over the wall. We must pray. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is in the city of Capernaum, near the Sea of Galilee, where he did a lot of his ministry on or around. But on this day in Mark chapter 1, we see that he is at the synagogue that morning. He's teaching. He casts out a demon. His fame is spreading as a result. And then afterwards, he goes to Peter's house for a time of fellowship and visiting. And while there, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. So at the end of the day, because of all of this, The whole town, 
the people in Capernaum and in the surrounding area were at Peter's door, ready to knock it down just to see Jesus. And they kept showing up, and the number kept getting bigger, and they kept showing up, and they kept showing up, and as they're showing up, they're bringing all sorts of people and a variety of distress, despair, and darkness, and Jesus is healing all of them. And this goes on well into the lateness of the night. So he has this whole day of teaching, healing, casting out demons, fellowshipping, talking, moving. It's a long day. So you can imagine the exhaustion, the weariness, the desire for a break. And what does he do? Well, we're told in Mark 1.35, rising very early the next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. There he prayed. I mean, at this point in time in Jesus' life and ministry, the enemy, Satan himself, has and keeps coming at him, tempting him, trying to to disrupt God's will for Jesus' life, trying to get Jesus to buy into a shortcut to glory, to get Jesus to go against the will of the Father. Jesus is under spiritual attack. And not only that, but hundreds of people are coming to him, vying for his attention, pulling him left and right, and they're full of trouble and suffering walls before them. He is physically exhausted. And what does he do? He prays. God incarnate. He prays. And James is saying, listen, does anyone have a wall in front of them? Is anybody suffering right now? Is anybody troubled? Broken? Need healing? Need help? Is anyone in distress or despair or darkness? Then like Jesus, let us Look over the wall. Let us look above to the one who can see through the wall and who knows what to do with the wall. And let us pray. Pray. You say, well, I got nothing to say. I'm too broken. As John Bunyan said, in prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Sometimes he just wants your groan. But when we pray, despite the wall before us, and especially when things are going well, let us pray with the disposition of praise. Praise. Let us praise God. Oh, praise the name we just sang. Let us pray with the disposition of praise. Because listen, when we pray faithfully, and when we praise God despite our circumstances, good or bad, God can do big things in our lives. He truly can knock down the wall, give us a door through the wall, or give us the ability to climb over it. I love three examples in Jesus' life where this happens. Number one, the feeding of the 5,000. You remember this scene, right? The 5,000, that's just the men, not counting the women and children. There's thousands of people right there among Jesus, and they're hungry. You know how we are when we're hungry, right? They're hungry. 
They got nowhere to go. It's a city right there in and of itself, all these people gathered. So Jesus is right there faced with a problem. Faced with a problem. And what does he do? What we see him do is pray. But it's a specific type of prayer. It's a a prayer of thanksgiving. He prays with a disposition of praise. Another example is Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. John tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, this family. They were dear friends of his. And he's at the cemetery. He's at the grave of Lazarus. He had already wept. He's full of sorrow. So he has a wall of sadness right before him. And what does he do? He prays a specific kind of prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. He prays with a disposition of praise. The third example, Jesus is at the supper table the night he was betrayed, hours removed from extreme personal suffering, abandonment, alienation, isolation, torture, wrongfully accused, beaten, and publicly killed. What does he do? He prays. A specific kind of prayer. A prayer of thanksgiving. He prays with the disposition of praise. And in all three instances, after he prays and prays with the disposition of praise, God then feeds the 5,000 raises Lazarus from the dead, and gives Jesus the strength to endure the cross. He ends up using Jesus' disposition of praise to bring about transformation. Because Jesus looked over the wall, so to speak, because he looked above with a disposition of praise, God then knocked the wall down, gave him a door to go through the wall, and gave him the ability to climb over the wall. And he can do the same in our situations. That's what James is saying. So he's saying is, like Jesus, then let us pray. Let us look over, let us look above, let us look to him. And as we pray, let us praise him. But also James calls us to petition. Let us intercede And let us interpose on each other's behalf. In other words, when we pray and when we praise God, let us also plead with God for the personal health of our brothers and sisters, physically and spiritually. And let us also plead with God for the communal health that we so desperately need, spiritually and physically. So James mentions this oil. It was a common act in that day. But it was a physical action that symbolized consecration. And most likely for James, he means it for his readers as symbolic. In other words, he wants us to set apart our brothers and sisters during their time of distress or despair or darkness. Set them apart for consecration Anoint that person with prayer and petition. Intervene on their behalf. Intercede on their behalf. Cry out for each other. 
So in other words, pray and praise. But you're to do this not just by yourself, individually, but also corporately. You're to pray with each other, and you're to pray for each other. Again, a common theme running through these verses is we need one another to look out for each other. We can't shut the door to our brothers and sisters, especially in their time of distress, despair, or darkness, be that physical or be that spiritual. I need you. You need me. We need personal health, spiritually and physically. We need communal health, spiritually and physically. And that health requires each of us praying and praising and petitioning with and for each other. So think of it like this. Think of a hospital. And you're sitting in bed with a sickness. Some of us have been there before. Throughout the day and the night at that hospital, you will constantly have people, different people, coming in and out, sometimes to your annoyance, right? Checking this, checking that, testing and examining this, asking this question, saying that constantly. Different people checking and evaluating and talking and discussing what? Your health. That should be the picture of the church. That's what James, in essence, is getting at, whether we're talking spiritual or physical. That should be the picture of the church. We need each other. What hurts an individual believer and what hurts a community of believers, what prevents health is sickness and sin. Therefore, James is saying, if we're to have that personal and communal health, we must be true to God and true to each other. Let our yeses be yes and noes be noes, he says back in verse 12. We must confess sins to one another. We have to speak of our brokenness and our weaknesses. You don't have it all put together. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been a part of A, B, or C. You don't have it all put together. We're broken human beings with weaknesses. Thus, we must draw near to God and near to each other. You say, well, why? Because, as one commentator said, open confession of sin and mutual prayer are actions that promote transparency, not secrecy. Support, not alienation. And unity, not division. And we should be about this so that, as James says, so that we might be healed physically or spiritually. So that we might have personal and communal health. And we might think, I don't think that's possible. The distress I'm in, the despair, the darkness, I don't think that's possible that we could have that. Listen, as he says, in essence, the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. For you doubters out there. As Tony Evans says, God will do extraordinary things with an ordinary person who walks with the Lord by faith and makes an energized or faithful prayer. 
James brings up the illustration of, or example of Elijah. And you go back and read 1 Kings 18. You can see how he prayed earnestly and persistently, how he was faithful in prayer. And James is saying there was nothing special about him. He wasn't superhuman. He was of the same nature you and I are. Same brokenness, same weaknesses. And God moved. Moved mountains. Provided rain. Took away rain. James is saying, we must pray, we must praise, and we must petition, but not just by ourselves. We have to do it together, with each other, for each other, because when we do, it's powerful. It changes things. It transforms things. And even if there should be some among us who still wander or who begin to turn amidst their distress, despair, or darkness, who begin to question the presence and the power and the goodness of God, and begin to turn from Him in these last days. Let us still then, in love, rebuke and redirect them. Meaning, let us look out for each other. We cannot be passive. We have a responsibility to each other. We can't shut the door and look the other way. That's not what he's called us to do. Last week, we finished with Hebrews 12, that reminder of that author to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, looking over the wall, looking above the wall to the one who can see through the wall and who knows what to do with the wall, right? To keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, as I was thinking about that this past week, it reminded me of our kids learning how to walk. And some of you have seen an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-month-old learning how to walk. Well, when we were trying to teach our kids how to walk, the trick was for one of us, Stephanie or I, to stand kind of in front of them, kind of at a distance. And the trick was to try and get them to keep their attention, their eyes focused on us. Because what would happen is if they didn't, then they would begin to look at their surroundings and the circumstances and begin to doubt their ability and the power needed to walk and, and all of that kind of stuff. They would begin to get distracted. And it was inevitable when they took their eyes off of us, they would fall. They would stumble. Sometimes they'd give up, go to crawling, or just sit there and they wouldn't even do it like what caused Peter to start drowning that night, right? He took his eyes off of Jesus. James is reminding us, he's urging us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to help each other do the same thing. To look out for each other. To encourage, to redirect so that we might not fall or give up or walk away. So let us pray. And as we pray, let us pray with the disposition of praise. And let us petition. Let us at times rebuke each other and redirect each other in love. 
We must do this together. Because, as the proverb says, love covers a multitude of sins. And that's what James has in mind here. We need personal health. We need communal health. And we can't do it alone. You can't. We either are or one day will find ourselves in distress, in despair, in darkness. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, socially. Let us not shut the door to each other. Let us look out for each other. Let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus and let us help each other do the same thing. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to ask our team to come forward. As we have a time of invitation. And we're all in different circumstances and situations. And as James is saying, if anyone is suffering... Let that person pray. Maybe that's all you just need to do right now is just pray. But maybe you also feel like, man, what I'm, I'm, what I'm faced with, the distress I'm in, the despair I'm in, the darkness I'm in, man, I can't do this alone because you can't do it alone. Maybe you just need to come down and, and we, we pray with you. Place a hand upon your back and just encourage, lift up, pray with you. Maybe to petition for you. To cry out to the Lord on your behalf. Maybe that person next to you needs to do that. Maybe you need to do that for somebody else. Whatever the Spirit's leading in this moment of invitation, be obedient, be transparent, be truthful, so that there might be healing. Physically, and or spiritually. So even as I pray, if you have a decision to make, you need prayer, you come. West and I will be down here, our youth pastor, myself, will be down here if you need prayer, you come, even as I pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Some of us are suffering. Some of us are about to enter a season of suffering that we don't even know that's coming. Some of us have a wall right before us. And we can't see through it. We don't know what to do with it. Help us, Lord, in this time together collectively to look over the wall, to look above to you, to the one who knows what to do with the wall, the one who can see through it. As we sang earlier, all we see is the battle, but you see our victory. You see the beyond. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Help us. For the joy set before us to endure. But help us also to realize we can't do this alone. We need each other. Every one of us. If it's a sin we need to confess, if it's a prayer we need, help us to be open and willing to draw close to you and close to each other for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with us. We're going to be down here during this time of invitation. You need something, you need to talk, you need a prayer, you need a decision, whatever you need, be obedient to that. This time we'll be down here.